Hello there, and welcome to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting from the heart of the Netherlands, the beautiful city of Amersfoort, where the weather is not that beautiful. It's been raining, and there were even some thunderclaps. But hopefully the weather will still give us a little bit of summertime at the end of this month. Here's hoping. This episode is made possible by my patrons, uh, people that support me on a monthly basis with a little donation and sometimes a, a big donation, of, for all of which I'm very grateful. Um, and in return, I give them a, an extra podcast every week. And, and this is going to be something to look forward to in the month of August. I'm going to give them uh, a, a, a an English documentary that I filmed while I was in Ireland. And it doesn't really matter what level of patron you are i just want to give something back so if you want to have more information about that or you want to get that link to the uh to the ireland documentary um that is hopefully going to be ready soon uh go over to patreon.com slash father roderick and take a look and see you know what's going on this is what's happening in your world they said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. All right, so I've been very busy these uh, two weeks. I've, I've been back for about a week and a half. It's incredible how quickly vacation is over. And I don't know what is happening in your life, whether you're still on vacation or you're back at work or back to school or back to the university or whatever your your day-to-day life consists of well it's 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 too bad that that time flies by so fast by the way i i spoke about that in the newest episode of the walk um i read an interesting scientific article about our perception of time and so i have some tips uh, for for on on how to experience time so that it doesn't go by that quickly. And if you want to check that out, go over to tridio.com and, and listen to that latest episode. Um, I am totally, this is a Lego week for me. Um, we've been developing the plans for the next few months. And uh, in addition to a number of video projects, I'm also working on a series for kids that will um, do several things. We will tell the gospel of the... Of, of, of Sunday Mass, um, but we will do that with Lego, so I have an idea for that. And then I also want to create uh, stories that take place in a Lego world, and so I've been uh, um, looking around and on secondhand websites like uh, eBay, and we have a Dutch website called Marketplace, and I've been able to purchase a, a number of uh, secondhand uh, Lego sets that are going to be really cool to build and also to use for, for videos. And then last, uh, when was it? Tuesday evening. I was looking, I was browsing on that eBay-like website. And what, of course what they do is they look at what, what kind of advertisements you're interested in. So I go to the front page and all of a sudden I see this photo of uh, the UCS, so the Ultimate Collector's Edition Shouldn't it be UC, UCE? I don't know. But anyway, the, the ultimate collector's version of the Millennium Falcon, not the newest one. That, that There is this huge, I think it's the most expensive Lego set out there uh, with, uh, what is it, 6,000 or 7,000 pieces. And you could build this huge Millennium Falcon. But what I didn't know was that there was actually a predecessor to that set that came out in, I think, 2007. Um, and it 
is all if you look at it from a distance it it looks almost identical to the newer one it's, it it has exactly the same dimensions so it's a huge set um but that previous set is no longer uh, available um and it is slightly i mean the newer set has for instance some interior compartments so you can see the 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 room where they play the hollow chess and and there is some more detail in the cockpit at every, but on the whole I see this photo of this millennium, Lego Millennium Falcon, and I was, but then the price shocked me. It was only 95 euros. So I was like, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. So I, uh, I made contact with the guy who was selling that, and turns out this is not the, the, it's not official Lego. It's a, a knockoff uh, brand, so it's, it's the, the, the Chinese brand. He had bought two sets years and years and years ago. He only built one. And then the other one was just sitting there gathering dust. So he's like, I'm just going to get rid of it and put it up on eBay. And since it's not an official set, there are probably going to be parts missing and I don't have a box or anything, but I'll just uh, put it up on sale. And I happened to be the first one who reacted to that advertisement. And I was like, dude, deal. <laughs> this is going to keep me busy for a couple of weeks. This is going to be so much fun. So today the set arrived and I'm not kidding you. It is bigger than I thought it would be. It is, uh, I'm lifting up the box here, and it is a massive orange box. I think it must weigh at least five kilograms, so more, 10 pounds. And this is chuck full, can you hear it, of bricks. <laughs> and I, I asked uh, the person who, uh, who I bought it from, how much time did it take to take how much time did it take you to build it and he said well about two weeks so knowing that i'm not a very experienced lego builder i think this will this will probably keep me busy for an entire month but that's what i'm going to start uh today um i'm recording this on the 15th of august i'm going to be live streaming the building of the millennium falcon this is going to be one of the most epic builds i've ever done the the previous big set was hogwarts castle that was a lot of fun this is a more technical build because it only is the exterior of the Millennium Falcon, but it is super impressive. Plus, it's Star Wars, you know, so that'll warm us up for uh, for the for the Star Wars month of December, uh, when of course we get to see the final installment in the Skywalker saga. And I am stoked. I'm really stoked. I, by the way, I read that, um, and I'm I'm not sure if this was based on research or it's just a hunch of the writer of the article, but um, that that Disney was kind of disappointed in the return on investment regarding their Star Wars um, section in Disneyland. I think they built it, did they build it in Disney World or Disneyland? Anyway, it's going to be also, in, it's going to be in both theme parks, and I think they're even opening one in Paris. Uh, th so they had high hopes that, that you know people would be flocking the, the, the parks because of that Star Wars uh, theme park part of their theme park and turns out that the um the amount of visitors was kind of uh not as not as big as they thought it would be now of course i would say this is just the beginning there's only one ride in that entire park the others are not ready yet so you can only fly the millennium falcon and you have to wait in line for hours and it's a very short ride so how interesting is that going to be it's kind of comparable to when i first visited universal studios uh the harry potter section it had 
two rides, I think. It had the uh, wand shop, and then it had a kind of a, was inside the castle, and it was this three-dimensional broomstick ride. It was very cool. And, and I think there was also um, uh, a roller coaster that they had just kind of modified a little bit, so it had a, a Harry Potter vibe. I think they, they now replace it with another uh, ride, which is much more Harry Potter-themed. But um, there wasn't much... And, and I think that, that, but over time, Universal Studios has been continuing to build that part of the park, and now it's one of their main attractions. So I would say give it some time. But then I also read in that article that apparently a younger generation is less interested in Star Wars as the generation of their parents. So for kids, Star Wars is not as popular as it used to be in my time. So I don't know if that's true, but if so, that would, of course, be a major problem for... Um, for Lucasfilm, for uh, for Disney, and potentially also for us as Star Wars fans, because it means if there's no market for it, then there won't be there won't be much. But on the other hand, I can also imagine that Disney will continue to kind of uh, improve the quality of their Star Wars products or productions, and and maybe the the new Disney Plus channel will uh, also help kind of solidify that brand, because I don't think that Disney is ready to kind of give up on Star Wars anytime soon. <laughs> but it's just not as popular as their Marvel uh, success, which is unbelievable. Plus, I think for this has been a, a record year for Disney, because the, the Lion King is also breaking all records, even though it didn't do that well among critics. But it is, I think it's a number one movie in a decade in the Netherlands, more than a million and a half, no, more, more than two million people in the Netherlands alone have already seen that movie. Now, you have to keep in mind, there are only like 15 or 16 million people living here in this country. So that's insane, those numbers. So, yeah, let's hope that Disney can pull it off and give us much more Star Wars in the future. Since we're already talking about movies, it, why not just start the segment? <laughs> and um, I'm not going to talk about Star Wars but I'm going to st- uh, talk about a science fiction movie or a science fiction series that feels like a movie on Netflix. And I also uh, briefly talk about the Dark Crystal series that Netflix is going to bring us. I think it will start in two weeks from now. And I'm stoked. And especially now that there's a new trailer. Um, and I'm going to talk about all, uh, about all about it. <laughs> you not like movies. They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So the series that I first want to talk about is called Another Life. And it just popped up on uh, on my the front page of my uh, Netflix account. And it stars Katie Sackhoff in the main role. She is uh, playing a character called Nico. Um, she's living with her family in the near future when suddenly uh, a strange artifact lands on Earth. It's first some kind of a Escher-like, uh, impossible, like infinity signal, and then when it touches down, it, it it transforms into this huge crystal, and they are trying to communicate with it, but they can't figure out what it is and uh, and whether this this alien visitor is even hostile or not. And so the plan. Uh, uh, emerges to send a spaceship uh, to um, uh, the the planet that this artifact or this huge crystal mountain ori- ori- originates from, 
and uh, and then they want to make first contact and figure out w- what they should do with this uh, alien life on on the planet. Now, the the the, bl- the plot itself is full of holes. It, it, there are some very unlikely elements in it. For instance. Why would you fly... uh, They established very quickly that there has never been first contact with an alien uh, life form. They've never been to other planets, yet they do possess the ability to send a spaceship to another solar system in another galaxy, perhaps, or I don't know. They don't really explain how the ship gets there, but it's kind of weird that they're so baffled by, you know, this, this alien technology... And, and at the same time, so th- and they're really doing the kind of the close encounters thing. So they're playing music to communicate with it. And then the thing kind of communicates back in music, in, in Mozart. And, and so that's the first kind of science fiction trope that they, this, this series is full of tropes. All sorts of or homages, if you're more positive. So it, it really refers to a lot of established science fiction um, tropes. So anyway... On so on the planet, they're they're like standing there with like four people in in front of that. So there are only four scientists that are in a little tent and they're trying to communicate. Well, I I'm I'm like look, if this would happen in real life, you would have tens of thousands of scientists working on that. And then of course it wouldn't be a spur of the moment decision to send a spaceship to the other side of the galaxy if you've never uh, done that. But anyway. Let's all suspend our disbelief and just look at the qualities of the story itself. Does it work? Well, let me play a little bit of the official trailer um, here on the Netflix YouTube site, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. So We interrupt this broadcast for an emergency alert. The Department of Defense is confirming reports of an unknown object entering Earth's atmosphere. The first character that we're introduced to, by the way, is a vlogger, like a modern-day vlogger, and she's the most annoying character in the entire series. So she's constantly, she's like a gossip uh, vlogger, and for some reason, people take her seriously. It's really weird. I am coming back, I promise you. And here Nico is uh, saying goodbye to her family. So from that moment on, the story kind of splits into the what happens on the ship and what happens back on Earth with her husband and her child. Here we go. We are on our way to a planet full of aliens. I found something. How many of these things do you think are out there? Our first contact with an alien civilization is a risk. And then, of course, is it going to be positive or not? Is it? Are they in trouble or not? We don't know. We are all here for the same reason. To protect the lives of the people back on Earth. So that Wait, is, of wh- course, that? impetus for, the, for their journey. And then things go haywire, both in the ship and on the planet Earth. here is going to happen on earth oh god no i have to save the crew save earth what if by doing this we launch into an interstellar war we don't have a choice another life i was pleasantly surprised i've I've been a little bit critical here in my first assessment of the of the story and how improbable it is but i've been very pleasantly surprised by the quality of the series itself, the 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 acting is great. I love Katie. I've always been a fan of hers since Battlestar Galactica, where she uh, played um, uh, 
what what's it? ah now it escapes me uh, anyway doesn't matter she's great in that series and uh, she's awesome here too um there is also uh, a, a lot of uh, um, care put into the special effects. The sets themselves look amazing. Um, and then the stories are kind of... Uh, it's simple science fiction. So it, it is not really a very complicated story. It's most... Uh, uh, most of the time it is about you know, conflict on the ship itself. People doing stupid things. And oh my goodness, in some episodes, they are so dumb. Like there's one episode where they, I'll try to kind of keep this vague in general in case you want to check it out. They're visiting this uh, moon or something like that. And uh, one of the crew members get, gets infected. I won't go into the details. It is a very thrilling episode. And it's, oh, there's a lot of gore in it as well. And it made me think right away of aliens. Um, and, but, but it's filmed almost on the quality level of of a movie it's incredible how how television has improved its uh, standards but anyway so you follow this entire episode and then it's, it almost kills everyone and what happens in the next episode they go to another planet and they are just walking around there without helmets without any protection i was like how dumb can you be? You just got infected. You're in outer space. You're, you, we, we are not used to all the organisms that we may encounter. What were you thinking? And of course things go wrong again. So every episode there are these cringeworthy moments where it's like, I cannot believe how stupid this crew is. And, and in, in a certain way, of course, don't blame it on the crew. Blame it on the writers. It's so lazy writing from time to time. But it, that is compensated by just the pace of the series, uh, the quality of the effects. The acting is, is nice. It's an interesting crew. There are uh, likable characters, uh, people that you don't like. It feels like classic um, serialized science fiction. And that's how I kind of approach it. I, I don't take it too seriously. I don't expect this to be like an, an incredible story full of, you know, moments transcendent transcendental moments that make you think about the meaning of life now nah, this is just popcorn television but it's really well done this is not Battlestar Galactica but it is still very entertaining now another gripe that I have with this series is its ham-fisted way of introducing kind of modern sensitivities um, this, this series tries so hard to be more than politically correct that you're like oh Give me a break. Like, for instance, it, it has um, the doctor on the ship is played by a transgender actor. And it's it's very a matter of factly. Uh, they don't really go into it. This is not as w when Star Trek introduced its first, um, uh, uh, what was it? Was it this couple? In, was it Sulu who had a husband on Earth, and they, they, they kind of forced it onto you? And and then in the in in Star Trek Discovery, uh, there is also this uh, male couple, and, but it's so in your face, and so like this is going to look so old fashioned in in five years from now. But it's all about I don't know, just them trying to make a point of having the first homosexual couple on a on a, a major science fiction show, but here. They try to do that a little bit with the uh, transgender uh, character, who I assume is also played by a transgender actor, but they don't mention it. They don't, nobody's weirded out by it or is any... There's, so in that respect, at first I was like, that's, that's the way to do it. You know, just like what matters is what people do, the choices that they make. That's how uh, the Catholic Church always approaches this. 
it's it's uh, you are not your uh, your sexual identity. We are more than a heterosexual or a homosexual or a transgender. Or God looks at us and loves us uh, because we are His children. And because we can make the right choices in life, and that is what matters. So, anyway, that that, that at first I was like, ah, for, fortunately, this is not kind of in your face. It's still a bit like, whoa, I've never seen a transgender uh, actor or character in a science fiction series. So, yeah, they're breaking new ground here. But then in the fifth episode, they involve that character into a romance with another guy on the ship, and then it gets and it's done. Very cringeworthy. I mean, like this is so improbable, over the top. It feels forced in. Like, oh, we need to have, we need to break new ground and 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 show show this transgender relationship. And we're and then I'm I'm just disconnecting. I was like, okay, now you're you're really pushing it. You're pushing an agenda. You're pushing pushing an ideology. And, and, and it doesn't, uh, that's the problem that I have. It doesn't uh, propel the story forward. It's just this, like, look at us being modern. And there's some other moments, like the use of music. It's a totally different uh, aspect, of course. But they use this, this moody kind of uh, emo music in every episode. And it's always when something happens to... Uh, Nico to the to Katie Sackhoff's character, and then you already know what's going to happen. You're going to have this this like yearning music in the background, and then you got to get this sequence. It almost feels like that what they did in the '80s with the A Team. Like every episode had this construction sequence where it would do 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 do, and you'd see Mr. T lifting up some heavy material and putting together a weapon or a car, and then. And always took like two minutes, and it was always this montage of of the the crew of the A team putting together something that they needed for their mission. Well, this science fiction series has the same problem. It's like I don't know why I live, why I die, stars in the sky, and then you get these. I'm just making this up right now. But <laughs> and then you see these long shots of Katie Sh- Sackhoff looking super depressed and then the camera just floating around in space and looking at other characters in the in the ship also looking super emo and super depressed and super sad. And then that that song just goes on and on and on. It's like Oh, can we get on with the story please? This does not serve the story. This is just to sell musical tracks or something like that. And, and, and so that's my beef with with this series. There are these moments like I like I want to like the series. I like the series. It's a it's an interesting story, and, and I like it because it's full of tropes. But then there are oh every episode is like like oh no not again no oh here we go again. All right, how long is this going to take? Three minutes. It's over. Okay, can we now please go back to that planet that is infecting the entire crew? Ah. Uh, so that's basically in a nutshell my my take on another life i've again i've not seen the entire series so this is always it may pick up the pace later on it will may probably will get better over time the first six episodes it's a mishmash of of tropes of great 
sets, great camera work, great acting, and some very cringe-worthy stuff that re returns time and time again. <laughs> and the, 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 by the way, other morally object, um, objectionable element I thought in the story also felt ham-fisted and, and artificial is there's this one very attractive girl but she's also a scientist so she's like again a trope like oh she's beautiful but we don't want to depict women as just being you know beautiful beings but she's also super smart and so this is totally a ripoff of the character on on uh, Firefly where the, the, the mechanic, I forgot her name, uh, and she's really pretty and, and nice and charming, but she's also super smart, so we're balancing that out. But this character, they, they, they try to introduce something new. So what's her thing? Well, she falls in love romantically with two guys at the same time. And the guys are like, uh, let's not do this, okay? Um, I'll, I'll let you have her already that is kind of they, they, they create a love triangle but then instead of going with the interesting dynamics of like what we had with Luke and Han Solo and, and Leia before Luke of course knew that Leia was uh, his sister but there's this tension and it's funny and you can do stuff with that but here like the girl is like oh let's have two man and let's just kiss for a very long time in one scene first with the one dude and then with the other dude because we want to be new we want to be groundbreaking we want to shock the audience but not too much but just a little bit to show how edgy we are and i'm thinking how lazy can you be as a writer and how you don't take us seriously as the viewers and you don't take you don't take the issues that you want, the agenda that you want to promote, you don't even take that seriously because it's so lazy writing and doesn't serve the story. It's just a thing that you thought was cool and you just, let's put that in. Like a, a girl kissing two dudes. Oh yeah, we've never seen that before. <laughs> I mean, beeves and butthead level. Seriously. Anyway, but maybe things will pick up later. I will let you know once I've seen the entire uh, series. All right, let's go over to the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about those weird Catholics, but you're afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today, I want to talk about... A virtue, and I'm going to explain what that is, although you probably already have a hunch, <laughs> but I want to link it to the Dark Crystal series on Netflix. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. I've already shared how much of a fan of the Dark Crystal I am. I've, I still vividly remember seeing the first images of that movie when I was staying with my uh, grandmother in the south of the country. And that was way before cable television, way before uh, television on demand. And one of the advantages of living in the south of the country was that you could receive German television over the air on TV. We couldn't get that. I was living near Rotterdam. That's on the west coast of... of uh, that sounds cool. The west coast of the, of the Netherlands. We don't have an east coast. But anyway... <laughs> So it's far too, it's way too far from the German border to receive German television. But my, when I was staying with my grandmother, 
we would watch German TV, and German TV, Germany is a big country, very rich country, so their TV was awesome. And I remember that one evening I was watching TV, and they had a documentary about the making of The Dark Crystal. And I remember falling in love with that story, falling in love with the music, the puppetry, the, 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 the story. It was so amazing. And then when I finally got to see it in the movie theater, it, it instantly became one of my all-time favorite fantasy movies, and it still is. And so I was so excited when I heard that Netflix was, was making a series based on the the story established in the movie the dark crystal but they would go back in time and show you how the world of the dark crystal became what it is at the start of the movie so it's, this is a prequel series and what they did was they went back and they recreated puppets in the same way as jim hansen did back then and they brought back a lot of the visual flair but they enhanced it with of course cgi but it's flawless and when you look at that trailer it's like oh it feels so much like the Dark Crystal, but you can also tell that they are able to do so much more. Uh, but it's not jarring because the, the, the puppets are still, pup, the main characters are still puppets and, and, and the music still, it feels so much in line with the movie that, that I know and love. Here is a little snippet of the newest trailer for The Age of Resistance. That's the name of the, of the, of the new series on Netflix. And I wanted to play that because I love what they do here with a very important theme, the theme of the virtue of hope. Actually, this is, this is the entire trailer. <laughs> At its center, the crystal of truth. So that's kind of how they start the trailer. You see the, the dark crystal, and it's, it's called the dark crystal, but it, we know from the movie that it's old. originally it wasn't a dark crystal. It was the crystal of life. It was the source of all life on that planet until the Skeksis, the evil doers, took over. Darkening. What is the darkening? And then, of course, we get this classic fantasy theme of the world turning dark and our heroes receiving the call to action. And so you've got this female character, and she gets a vision of what's happening, what the Skepsis are, ske are doing to the Dark Crystal. A vision. They read too many stories. No, this and of course, that's very cool. She's not believed by her mother. I assume that's her mother. And so these, these young uh, Gelflings, I think they're called, these elf-like creatures, they're on this adventure to figure out what's truly going on. And then they start talking about hope in this darkened Join world. Join me! So we may finally unite as one against our true foe, the Skeksis. We are eternal! The that's interesting. The Skeksis are trying to become immor immortal, and they misuse the crystal for that. So the crystal is feeding them so they can stay alive. Here it comes. This becomes interesting. We have hope. So it's hope versus the darkening. And then there's some interesting parts hope here. Hope is fragile. Hope is fragile? Precious. Precious? Hope catches the light. Catches the light, I love that. Splitting the darkness. And it splits the darkness. So hope is also a weapon. Your destiny. And it reveals your destiny. Your true destiny. I don't think anything will ever be like it was again. No. It will be better. That was very cool too. 
So Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. Um, not only do I like the looks of it, but I also really, really love what they do thematically here with the story. Because this is kind of the, the you could say, the, the f- fundamental mythology that, un- that underlies almost every myth every fairy tale every also a lot of bible stories are based on this kind of uh on these universal themes of hope versus darkness and so i figured you know what i'm going to uh share a little bit what this virtue of hope truly is and in order to do that i I have to explain a little bit about virtues in general we all know what, what virtues are we may not be able to kind of name all of them, but a virtue, when you say someone is virtuous, it means that's someone who is behaving in a good way. That's that's how I would define virtue, a virtuous person. It's a person who acts, cho- chooses, speaks um, in, in, in a way that is good for that person and for, the, for all of us. Um, so virtue is behavior. Um, it, it's it's about virtue inspires the actions, it inspires the choices that you make. And if those choices serve good, then that person uh, is, is putting virtues to work or is inspired by certain virtues. What are those human virtues? And, 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 and it also requires effort, right? Uh, if I, a virtue of uh, one virtue could be, um, for instance, human virtues, let's see here in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, uh, they um, consist of, well, do I have a, a list here? <laughs> they, are, they, they require work because we, according to the catechism, we are wounded by sin. That's true. We're, we're tempted to be selfish and to not be virtuous. And so uh, virtue also means overcoming your sometimes your instincts or your passions or your self-interest by doing what is right and not just what feels right. Now, um, a virgin may be patience, for instance. And patience can be hard. Patience can be easy when you're kind of a kind of a laid-back person. And yeah, I have my time, young man. Just you take whatever time you need. But <laughs> patience can always also be like you're in a meeting, and then this other person in a meeting gets on your nerves and just keeps babbling on about stuff that's not relevant and not not interesting. And then you're like, oh, come on! And instead of saying that out loud, like, come on, can we please finish this discussion and move on? You're like, okay, let that person just take its time and let me be patient. So then you are putting some effort into it out of charity in a certain way uh, because you want to respect that other person. You want to give that person the ability to speak his or her mind even though it gets on your nerves. So that's just one example. Um, There are some important uh, virtues um, that are called theological virtues. Um, these virtues are infused by gods in us. So God is the origin of us having these virtues, but then we still need to act upon them. Um, And those theological virtues are faith, hope, and charity. And that middle one, hope, is the one that gets mentioned in this trailer. In, In addition to that, you also have what we call the cardinal virtues. Um... The uh, cardinal virtues are the kind of the most important human virtues, so that are just shared by anyone on uh, on on the planet, uh, or can be uh, put into action by anyone. Um, 
those uh, virtues can be, for instance, uh, uh, stable dispositions, uh, perfections of the intellect. Uh, that all sounds very intellectual here. Um, but it is a, a, an habitual and firm disposition to do the good. So anything you do that is good and that becomes a habit, you can call that a virtue. So if you do one good thing that is laudable, but it's not a virtue. A virtue means you do it habitually. So you've made it, in, you turn it into a habit. Um, so there are tons of, of, of virtues um, that have to do with self-mastery, uh, the joy of leading a good life, etc., etc. There are four cardinal virtues. There are prudence. Prudence is um, the, the ability to discern what is the right way to do something good. So you you may know, like in general, like I, I got to do good things. I got to help the poor, for instance. Prudence will help you discern in very specific situations in your particular life what should I do to attain that you know that good for the poor. So what does that mean for for me right now in this situation? That, that's what we call prudence. So it's it's kind of. Uh, the, the, the theological definition. Then, in, in, in addition to that, as another cardinal virtue, you have justice. It is the will to give due to both to God and to your neighbor to do what is right and to to make the just to give to to the to Caesar what belongs to Caesar to give to God what belongs to God. Uh, justice is uh, another cardinal virtue that will generate good in the world. Injustice, very clearly, makes people unhappy and it creates division and can cause wars. So justice is a cardinal virtue, very important virtue. Then fortitude. Fortitude, not a word that we use a lot. I'm not talking about Fortnite here. <laughs> fortitude is the moral virtue that ensures firmness in difficulty and constance in the pursuit of good. So it, it's kind of linked to perseverance. It is the... The, the resolve to resist temptations, to resist obstacles, to keep doing the, the good. Fortitude would be something for, I don't know, for, uh, for Harry Potter. You know, it's this, this, this desire to do good, where a Slytherin would probably just, well, let's just give in to temptation and we can, we can use other means that are not very virtually, not, a, not very virtuous to still... Uh, attain what we want. Temperance is the fourth cardinal virtue. And temperance is, is what brings balance in the way we use our uh, created goods. So temperance is, for instance, uh, helps you, that virtue helps you to balance leisure and, and the need that we all have to, for instance, to take it easy, to relax, to play a game or watch TV with our duties in life, with our uh, responsibilities. Um, so it helps us balance our appetite, for instance. Uh, you know, what, what is, what is uh, temperance? It means you eat and you can enjoy that, but you don't overeat. You don't stuff yourself so you, 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 uh, you uh, harm yourself or others. Um, so it, those are cardinal virtues. And then, of course, the, these three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity are even more important because they lead us to God and they stem from God. These are faith, hope, and, and charity cannot exist if they weren't given to us by God. So it's, it's God, God's Holy Spirit that inspires us to, 
to, ex- to uh, put those virtues into action. And they lead us ultimately to him because he's the source of all hope. He's the reason for all hope. He's the reason and the source of all charity and the reason and the source of all faith. And faith, of course, is also trust, uh, trusting him. Uh, um, it's not just believing intellectually, but it's, it's entrusting you to, to God. So hope, what they say here in the um, trailer is, is beautiful because it's, it, it's a common theme in a lot of myth- mythology. Mythology is always about a situation that goes haywire in this situation. It is the world of the, of, of the crystal, or whatever it's called before it was the dark crystal. But because the, the source, of what is supposed to be a source of love, of life, in, in that world is perverted and is used by the Skeksis for their own benefit and their will is to live forever. We are immortal, they, they yell. Very similar to what we see happening in the, in, uh, the Harry Potter world with uh, a guy like Voldemort. Literally, his name be- means the one who tries to rob himself from death or, or tries to, is on the, on the run for death. And he does something similar in the first book. I've mentioned it uh, time and again. He kills a unicorn, a symbol of Christ, a symbol of life, uh, and the preciousness and the the vulnerability of life. And he drinks that blood so that he can live again and he can become stronger. And so he perverts what the the unicorn stands for. And that, that brings people to despair. Everybody is so fearful of Voldemort that they don't even dare to mention his name. Then comes along Harry Potter. You're a wizard, Harry. And he he is named, he's not afraid of Voldemort. He's not afraid to die. He's not afraid to sacrifice his life. Uh, and so, in a way, w- in a very human way, he tries to be virtuous. He tries to have hope, faith, and love. And there are many uh, elements in the Harry Potter story that refer to those theological virtues it doesn't openly say that it is a religious book but but jk rowling has used religious themes and and values in the way that she tells that story in the dark crystal you see something similar um i don't know what the background is of the writers of that of that story but i do know that once they start talking about hope versus the perversion of the Skeksis, and that hope, they say beautiful things about hope. Hope is vulnerable, and it truly is. Uh, if you look at how much despair there is in our world, think of the the political situation in many of our countries where um, so many politicians are using fear-mongering, literally, to destabilize us and to make us fly towards them like, you're afraid? Good! Because I will protect you. That's very different from giving people hope. Hope is and hope and, and 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 people can fear can truly destroy hope. Um, and and then people get cynical or aggressive. Um, and and then what I love about the trailer is the text says hope catches the light. So hope always goes on the lookout for light. What can brighten up this situation? Is there a good side to this situation? That's very different from the people that are using fear to flame hatred and to uh, mobilize people, not out of virtue, but out of the opposite of virtue, out of fear, out of... I mean, 
uh, another famous quote in this respect is what Yoda says. Um, Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hatred. Hatred leads to suffering. That's quite the opposite of what the 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 virtues and especially the theological vir- virtues are trying to establish in the world. The opposite of fear is faith. You can't both fear someone and untrust yourself to someone. It's either this or that. Same thing with God. Either you're afraid of God or you entrust yourself to God. You have faith in God. But you can't have both. Um, Then fear, according to Yoda, leads to anger. Anger is the opposite of, of charity, I would say. You can't both be mad and hate someone and at the same time love that person. It's either or. There's no in-between. We are called by Jesus to love our neighbor, even to love our enemies. That goes way beyond what most mythologies have trying to uh, convince us of. Uh, Jesus goes all the way to not only do you have to tolerate your enemies, you have to love them and pray for them. And he gives the example by doing that on the cross. So uh, anger versus charity versus loving and then uh hatred i would say versus um versus hope uh or suffering versus hope uh, suffer suffering in the way that jo- yoda uh, um, uh, talks about it is this unescapable uh, grip of evil over the world over the galaxy and and it's it's not beneficial suffering it's not suffering i mean the jedi do suffer but it is self-giving suffering it's suffering out of self-sacrifice that that can be positive but it's this this gloomy closed off suffering that 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 leads to nothing that bears no fruit um whereas hope hope helps you helps you to to go in the opposite direction and hope is a it gives you strength gives you energy and that's what you see in this trailer hope feeds the resistance that's, i love the subtitle of this dark dark crystal series the age of resistance what what motivates the resistance and that's true for star wars as well is hope the end of rogue one when when uh, this this soldier finally after almost being killed by darth vader hands over the plans for the death star and now the resistance the rebellion has something to overcome evil and and then Leia, the CGI version of Leia turns towards the camera and and then what is it? And then she says hope. Even though I didn't like the CGI Leia, I loved that final word of Rogue One because it means that Episode Four, a new hope, is exactly what that moment means. It's hope, and hope gives this rebellion completely outnumbered by this evil. Uh, empire by by this dark Sith Lord who is at the even be, beyond evil he's worse than Vader but, but despite all that massive strength of evil hope is what makes them ultimately what, what makes them endure suffering what what helps them to sacrifice themselves look at the, how many pilots are, are killed in the, the attack on the Death Star um, and it's ultimately also what 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 makes them reach this this ultimate you know end which is the complete victory over the darkness and the evil of the empire and in in this case we already know how the dark crystal ends 
go see the movie. It ends, of course, with the Skeksis being defeated. But what what is the, the, the thrust of this story of this Netflix series is this hope that gives you that gives these these uh, gelflings the the courage and the um, the motivation to keep going despite all the sacrifices and we see some of the of the mishap that happens to them over the over the the, the episodes of the first season but hope keeps them going i this is a trailer that i do not only am- admire because of the beautiful special effects um and the nostalgia but because it talks about one of the most important things that keeps us going. And of course, in a, in a theological context hope, context, hope would ultimately not be just hope for, for earthly deliverance, for human deliverance, but hope is ultimately also the hope that one day all our suffering will be over. It's hoping for eternal life. It's hoping for love everlasting. And that too can help you in life through many dark times in, in, in your personal life or in the world that you live in. Without hope, we have nothing. So cultivate that virtue and, and, and try to catch the light, as this trader says. Don't despair. Don't get angry. Don't fear. Don't, certainly don't hate. But choose the light side. Choose the side of hope, love, and uh, hope, charity, and faith. And then you will brighten your own life and you will brighten the world. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I have, I have read and I am still reading two books that I want to briefly mention here. The first one is an audiobook that I discovered on my audiobook um, subscription service. Um, it's kind of similar to Audible. It's called, called Storytel. I'm not sure if it's available everywhere in the world, but you may want to check it out. Um, so it's this uh, the first novel in a uh, series of novels based on Stranger Things. Now, this, of course, is a very common thing that happens uh, with uh, almost any science fiction. Most, most, most of the time science fiction, but also fantasy series on television. There are always some... Uh, some novels that expand the story or give you some more, you know, prequel information. And in this case, I really like this book. It's written by um, Gwenda Bond, and uh, the subtitle of the book is Suspicious Minds. So it's Stranger Things, Suspicious Minds. What makes this so interesting, this book, is that it tells the story of Eleven's mother. Eleven is the girl, in case you've never seen the series, it's about uh, a couple of uh, teenagers that discover that there is a, a like a, a dark side hidden underneath our reality that is trying to take over um, uh, this little village. And uh, sometimes you get sucked into that other reality, what they call the, uh, the upside down. We would call it the underworld. It's kind of like hell in heaven. Um, and then Eleven is this girl that um, we discover has been almost raised as a, as a, as a supernatural experiment um, and, and is, is, is abused by the government because they wanted to turn her into uh, a weapon. She has psychic abilities. And then in season two, we meet her mother. We don't get to hear much about what happened to her. The only thing that we know is that she was also somehow manipulated by this government uh, experimentation. This story 
shows us what happened in the 60s. And that is the second element that I like so much. Not only does it give us background about, I think, a pr pretty important character in season two. Um, and it's, it kind of gives that character much more depth and makes it more enjoyable to see her back in season two. But it also takes place in the 60s. Or I, I should say late 60s, early 70s. And so there are a lot of cultural references, just like the television series does so well, uh, to that era. And, and, and it, it does a pretty good job in, in recreating the vibe of those early 70s. And I lived in those early 70s, so I, I recognize a lot of that stuff. So it's a, it's a fun read. It's not a very deep book, but it is uh, surprisingly good. And I really enjoy it. And, and, and it's, it, it tells a story that I don't think that we'll ever get to see in a television series. Um, it also expands upon another character that we know from season two, and one of the most uh, controversial characters, Kaylee. Uh, at one point, there is this other girl that also grew up in that laboratory, and she's not 11, she was number eight. But her role was not very well done. I did not like that, that sequence in season two. But at least now we get to know a little bit more about her past. And uh, I'm, I haven't finished the book yet, but hopefully that will give a little bit more depth to her character in season two. The second book that I want to recommend is about Lego. <laughs> hey, I told you this was a Lego month or Lego week. Um, it's called The Lego Neighborhood Book. It's written by two brothers, Brian Lyles and Jason Lyles. Uh, one, I think, works in marketing and the other in software, but they are also Lego fanatics, and they're very good at building houses, what they call in the Lego world modular buildings. Now, this is th these, these modular sets are made for adults and really not targeted at kids, um, and they're architectural sets, so you build a, a building, a modular building, which means you can stack them together and create a street or a city even, and... Uh, those are very difficult builds, and they uh, employ a lot of techniques. So uh, oftentimes with children's sets, um, you may have a building like the other day. I built a, a Lego Ninjago set, and it was supposed to represent a gate and, and then two, two prison cells. But they do that very minimalistically. It's just to evoke a setting, and it's meant for kids to play with that. But with the... Uh, modular sets, it's really they want to create a building that is complete with staircases and everything. Um, uh, those architectural sets are are very, very beautifully done. Uh, super uh, interesting details, also on the inside of the houses. And so this book is all about uh, how you can make your own modular buildings. And what I like about this first book is it's really inspiring. It gives you, it's like, oh, I could do this or I could do that. And, and there is a second tome also, uh, second, uh, second um, uh, book also. But what this first book does really well is it shows you how to make a standard house and you can change the facade. And uh, they take you step by step through making this modular building and then you can make, like, one of what the, the, the coolest building in there is an Amsterdam canal house. And it ju looks just like the houses you see everywhere in Amsterdam. But they show you how you can make that yourself with actually not not too many rare pieces at all. So, um, yeah, I loved, loved that book and it really made me want to start to be creative and start building some of those modular buildings myself. As soon as I... Um, 
I, I get to finish the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> I will show you the results of, uh, of my Lego um, house building. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Very brief tech segment. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, one of my big tech fascinations, and that is VR. As you know, I have the Oculus Go. That was the successor to the PlayStation VR goggles, which were great, worked very well with the PlayStation 4, but they were also a hassle to put on and off. They were You were tethered to the PlayStation 4 with, I think, two sets of cables. It took a long time to set up, and the whole thing was very unwieldy. What I loved about the Oculus Go is it is standalone, no wires, it's not very powerful, and it's not six degrees of freedom. So it, it, that means that if you if you lean towards an object in real life, of course, the object will become closer. Not so on the Oculus Go. So it's meant for you to wear the goggles, sit in a chair, or stand still, but you can't walk in this virtual space. Um, Facebook, as you know, has also launched a, a successor to the Go or like a better version. It's called the Oculus Quest. And the Oculus Quest is still completely untethered. So it's, it's wireless. And you can walk around in your room. You can even set virtual boundaries so you don't bump into walls. Um, it's still powered by a mobile phone processor uh, that is already kind of two or three years old. So I'm waiting this one out. I like that it works. Um, I love that they were, were able to uh, give us six degrees of freedom so that that one actually makes you believe that you're in a space. Um, but graphically, it's not on par with what you could do on a PC. I'm just waiting for These chipsets are getting so much more powerful every year. I'm just going to wait for the second iteration of the Quest. The, the Go by, is still a, a little device. It has also the upside of being very cheap. I think I paid 199, um, and and it's really something you put on your on your head very easily, and it's got a lot of not really games. The Quest is really made for gaming, but this one has just apps. A lot of the apps is like you can watch TV, Netflix, in a virtual space. And just recently, Amazon came with a viewer for their uh, Prime content. Unfortunately, only available in the United States and Canada. I don't know why Amazon is neglecting the European market so much. Um, ho let's hope that they will soon make the app available to European users as well. What Amazon does, and that's interesting, not only can you watch their 2D content, but they also have a number of 3D uh, virtual experiences that you can undergo. So it's not just a 3D movie like we would see at the theater, but it's all around you. You are in the movie. And that, of course, is the great strength of VR. It's making you believe that you're in a different reality, literally, a virtual reality. So it's good to see that Amazon on Prime is also creatively using the abilities of VR technology, which, which is something that Netflix hasn't done so far. Um, the one app that I have been using the most on my Oculus Go, and for me would be a system seller, it would be worth getting an Oculus Go just for that one app, is the app Wonder. 
And Wonder is based on Google Earth and Google Maps. You know, in Google Maps, you have Street View, and you can ha you have this orange dude, and or well, I don't know if it's a girl or a, or a man, but anyway, this orange little puppet, and you drop it on the street, and all all of a sudden, you can look around. Well, they combined that with VR technology, and you can be in Google Earth. It's still 2D, of course, because all the source material from Google is in 2D. It's just these, these you know, these cars that, that, that run through our streets and just take uh, panoramic photos. But it's still warped around you in a three-dimensional bubble. And what makes this so incredibly powerful and so addictive is you can go on a virtual journey and visit places wherever you want on the planet. If Google Earth has a street view image, you can be in that place. And I've visited, you're going to laugh, but I visited Disney World in the Wonder app on my Oculus Go because I wanted to check out, this is before the Star Wars uh, uh, section, but I wanted to see the Avatar section, which was not there when I when I visited uh, uh, Disney, Disney World uh, many years ago. And so I've been able to walk around in that avatar part of the park. And it feels, it really feel, it does such, such a strange thing to your brain. Now I feel that I've been there. I did the same for the new Harry, the Harry Potter uh, section of Universal Studios. You can also visit that. And of course you don't get to ride the roller coasters. And so, but you can still walk around. And I was amazed to see how much that, part of the park had been expanded and there's even a, an entire london part now you can visit uh, uh the, the the train station you know, all that was not there it was just hogsmeade and the castle when i was there so and, and but now it feels like i've been there and i didn't spend a dime and so yesterday i uh i i put the goggles on and what do i see they often show you like a random environment and this time it was ireland I was like, whoa, that is cool. Hey, I wonder if I can go revisit the places that I saw on my vacation. And so I, I visited the town where I stayed. Now, unfortunately, it didn't have the house where, where we stayed because it was on a private road. So Google only takes the main roads. But I could still see the pub before it was renovated. Um, and I was able to visit the last my, the la, the last location that I visited um, on the very last day of our vacation, we went all the way to the northwestern part of the coastline. And there was this magnificent view of the waves crashing into this massive, the massive cliffs that are like twice as high as the cliffs of Mohair. And uh, I revisited that location in 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 on the Oculus Go. And uh, the funny thing is the photos were made at exactly the same, in the same type of weather, the same time of the day as when I was there on the last day of my vacation. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. It looks exactly the way it looked. It's not moving, but it is, I feel like I'm here again. And now I can't wait to go going back there tonight and, and revisit some of the other towns that I've been at. So it's a great place. It's a great app to, to explore parts of the world that you may want to visit. It's great preparation for your vacation. If you want to go to a certain place, you want to check out, you know, if, if a, you know, the things that are mentioned in your tourist guide are truly worth visiting, 
Well, you can just load up the app and go scout for it. You you could do the. That's another thing that I, I I'm going to do. You can walk the Camino inside Google Earth, and it really feels like you're walking around because it's it's not you're not in front of a computer screen. You can you can actually point with your pointer. It's only uh, one joystick that you have in the hand, but you can say, "Hey, move forward," and so you can you feel more or less as if you're walking around. I, I bet you you can walk a, a, a great parts of the Camino in, in, although maybe not everything because not none of those are, a lot of those roads are, are small roads where you can't get with a car. But anyway, you can still explore the different areas. Um, so you could do pilgrimages in, in, in Wonder, in the app. So anyway, I just wanted to share with that, uh, that with you and... Um, it's, it's awesome. I, that's why I love VR. And with that, I think it is time to wrap things up here because I've been talking for an hour and I still need to record the after show for my patrons. And in the after show, I always answer the questions that people ask me while I'm recording this live. I'm always streaming it on YouTube. So I want to go into that. And um, well, if you're not a patron, I will see you next week. And otherwise, check out the after show. Take care. Thanks for listening. And God bless.